truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Merry Christmas. Happy Thursday. Thanks for tuning in here today. Live and on demand on Blaze TV radio podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Aaron McIntyre. Todd Erzin are here as well. And Aaron, that was creepy. 888 Yes, that was like my all-time favorite Hillary Clinton gif at the Democratic National Convention. You remember that one? Yeah. You guys don't remember that? I do. That's that's an all-time gif. All-time. 888-900-3393 is the number here. 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. We have a jam-packed show coming up for you here today on this Thursday. We've got a difficult topic to tackle in Theology Thursday. Uh, courtesy, one of our listeners uh, has sent us a note. And this one, you know what? We don't, we don't duck questions, okay, ex- except for eschatology. We don't duck questions and uh, we don't line up tomato can opponents here. On this show, we're gonna we're gonna tackle a really tough one coming up on Theology Thursday later uh, today. Also, three non-political questions. Josh Hammer, who's the editor at large over at the Daily Wire, is going to join us. Uh, he recently wrote a piece that I read that I found interesting, uh, and, and put out a tweet storm about it as well, talking about the So Rob French debate and the future of conservatism. So we'll let him impart some of his thoughts on that to, to you here at the bottom of this hour. But before we get to all of that. Here's Creepy Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by impeachment craziness. Yesterday was yet another round of impeachment hearings in the House of Representatives. George Washington law professor Jonathan Turley made waves with his comments. I'm concerned about lowering impeachment standards to fit a paucity of evidence and an abundance of anger. I believe this impeachment not only fails to satisfy the standard of past impeachments, but would create a dangerous precedent for future impeachments. Another law professor, Professor Pamela Carlin of Stanford Law School, invoked the president's son, Barron, in a fourth-grade attempt at humor. I'll just give you one example that shows you the difference between him and a king, which is the Constitution says there can be no titles of nobility. So while the president can name his son Baron, he can't make him a Baron. She later apologized. I want to apologize for uh, what I said earlier about the president's son. It was wrong of me to do that. I wish the president would apologize, obviously, for the things that he's done that's wrong. Representative Al Green thought the witnesses of yesterday's impeachment hearings were way too white. It hurts my heart, Mr. Speaker to see the Judiciary Committee hearing experts on the topic of impeachment, one of the seminal issues of this Congress, hearing experts, Mr. Speaker, and not one person of color among the experts. Moving on, news from the border. What we're watching are two illegals climbing over a portion of border wall that was rebuilt under the Trump administration. Fortunately, as you can see, Border Patrol shows up just in time to pick them up. Good Trump news. He's reportedly set to meet with advisors this week in order to label Mexican cartels terrorist organizations. Bad Trump news. He's reportedly getting set to send as many as 14,000 more troops to the Middle East to counter the ongoing and growing threat Iran poses. Democrat presidential primary, NBC News headline, 
Hillary Clinton puts lesbian rumors to bed, never even been tempted. Out Magazine headline, Pete Buttigieg volunteered for the homophobic Salvation Army. Learning Spanish today, today's phrase is, the gay guy is homophobic. El chico gay es homofóbico. Also in Pete Buttigieg news, the following happened at an event for the South Bend, Indiana presidential wannabe. A white guy wearing a Black Lives Matters t-shirt steals the microphone from a black woman and hijacks the event. Who killed these people at the black leaders? Who organized this? We have a police crisis in this town. Why are we talking about Pete Buttigieg? What kind of nonsense is this? Moving on to weird news, this was a city council meeting in Olympia, Washington recently. And you are telling me you're going to light up City Hall to honor black and brown trans women? You're going to light up a City Hall that has police, and police are a part of the problem. And I feel like the people here at City Hall, they don't do that. You people's hearts. You create illusions. Point of order, I'm going to ask that you refrain. This is broadcast live out in people's homes with families, young Again, families. my point is, like, like you, didn't, you didn't care what I just said, which proves my point. I just want to say, how dare you co-opt the symbols of my trans and gay siblings. Actor Chris Pratt apologized after he was publicly shamed for drinking out of a single-use plastic water bottle. And finally, super happy fun times at karaoke night. Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. And that's what happened while we were away. You guys were like on an emotional roller coaster over there that last 60 seconds. Love that guy. <laughs> I didn't even see it coming. That's, I did not see that. <laughs> Just, oh, man. Ah. Oh. It's Aaron. It's as if you knew that's exactly what all of us needed after that city hall trans hearing. So thank you. God yeah. bless you. Yes. My son. That meme, thankfully, has, has has lasted longer than Jeffrey Epstein did in a federal prison. Uh, um, let, let's Aaron's montage. I need a break. I, I need to I need to recalibrate after that. So let me tell you about Patriot Mobile. All right. Uh, imagine everything you just saw in that montage. And every time you go to turn on your mobile phone, you, you, you're voting for that. Now, that, that may sound harsh, but you ever wondered where these movements get their money? Often from the corporations we shop at. They are threatened. Either they're supportive of this agenda, uh, or more often, they are just th- they're, they're threatened by uh, the people that uh, are uh, in, incensed that Chris Pratt drank out of a single-use water bottle. By the way, I know he apologized. You all know he's drinking out of like nine of those today, right? You guys realize mm-hmm. that, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So you got, you, got your, you got your apology on Twitter, and I'm sure he'll be at the gym today probably putting down eight or nine of those, okay, it, it, regardless of the apology, right? But that's, that stuff is supported by corporate America. They're funding most of this. That's why when you have an opportunity to do business with those that can provide you the same service you get anywhere else, but in support of the values and causes that, that you're 
in favor of as well, take full advantage of it. One such place is with Patriot Mobile, the same 4G LTE service you get from absolutely everywhere else except in support of values and causes that you believe in. It's the only veteran-led conservative mobile phone company with plans starting as low as $25 a month right now. In fact, when you switch to Patriot Mobile this month, you get a free Moto Z3 Play when you open a new line of service. That's a free Moto Z3 Play when you open a new line of service at patriotmobile.com slash blaze, patriotmobile.com slash blaze, or if you're driving right now and you can't go online, Call 877-367-7524. That's 877-367-7524. And use the promo code ZFREE. Promo code ZFREE when you call 877-367-7524. Okay. Now that I've got my bearings straight, let's let's get to what's in here. Um, just a quick thing on impeachment. I, I I didn't think I had anything until I saw the the Al Green video. So if if you're against Trump being impeached, you're a racist, and the people doing the impeaching are racists. Is that that's airtight, man? That's where we are now. Yeah. Do you guys know how I can avoid being labeled a racist? How, how do I do that? Uh, the very fact that you're asking that question means that you're a racist. See, that's what I was afraid of, too. Okay? That's why I was hesitant to, to ask. But I, I just feel compelled at this point. Is, is there, do, do you know, Todd, what I could do to not be a racist? Do you know what I could do? Like the white guy from wearing the Black Lives Matter shirt who grabs the mic away from two black women to tell them they're not black enough. Uh, who's the racist there? Is the white guy with the Black Lives Matter shirt a racist or are the black women racist? Do you know? All I know is that in the time it took you to ask that question, you yourself grew exponentially more racist. I, 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 I yes. Point of order. Yes. Real quick. Yes. You're racist. Yeah. I, I mean, is that, is that the dumbest, is that the dumbest speech that's ever been given in the United States Congress? And I, I got, I know. I know even asking that, it is a low bar, okay? But is that the dumbest speech that's ever been given, ever? Off the top of your head, can you think of something dumber than that? Well, it's the dumbest one since the last dumb one, so. That's that's probably the best answer. I don't know. You're kind of letting a lot of Republicans off the hook with that assessment there. Y- yes, but you know what? That's why I think Aaron's answer is the best one. It's the dumbest ans- It's the dumbest one since the last one. And you know, like we do with your list on buy, sell, or hold, we have benchmarks. Yeah. All right. So today's December the 5th. <laughs> From this time forward, okay, December 5th, 2019, and you in the audience can help us with that as well. You can, you know, email us to keep us up to date, you know. Um, From this time forward, all future dumb in the U.S. Congress will be measured by that Al Green, the impeachment's too white speech. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel dumber even after saying it out loud. But that's can, can, uh, is, is point of order all in favor? Is, can we make that our new benchmark to determine what is now the new the new the new all time dumb? Is that speech? Is that okay with you? If you want to, we won't even remember this tomorrow. Probably not. Because Mayor Pete is also homophobic. So see, I was that. Get, that I was going to 
Transition there next. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Come on now. Come on. <laughs> Why didn't I think of moron trivia? I could have been doing that instead right now. Instead of doing moron analysis. For goodness sakes. Um, excuse me, sir. Are you currently or have you ever been an agent of the Salvation Army? Answer the question, sir. So, Out Magazine. Do, Aaron, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> Now I got you good on that. Now I, I got you on that one. Now we're even for what you did to me last week. We're even now. All right. <laughs> no, no, come on, dude. Dude, I got to get a fist pump out of that. Come on. Yes. Yes. All right. We're even for what you did to me last week. All right. Okay. All right. We okay. should just call this show like the, the PG-13 locker room. Why don't we just call it that? <laughs> okay. Uh, um, <laughs> but... I don't know what it, it's like. A is it a gay publication? I'm guessing, right? Yes. Okay. Is it is. is it is it been around a while? Magazine. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't just okay. I've because I mean it's a popular phrase in, in gay lingo. Yeah, it's, right? it's been around for a decade. Uh, so I, I don't I know if that's a gay, if that's a new publication that's borrowed the phrase gay and lesbian perspectives on style, entertainment, travel, yada da da da. Okay. So it, so okay. All right. But so it purports to be dialed into this subculture, yep. right? Oh, yeah. Okay. And they they have the first mainstream gay presidential candidate. And they're attacking him on he's not gay enough. Is that is that what this is? I mean what 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 tell me tell me what you see, because here's what I think it is. I, I think this is just we're in the tank for another candidate, likely Elizabeth Warren. And so we're trashing Pete Buttigieg, who's hurting her. You don't think so, Eric? Dude, well, no. Well, it is that. It is that. But you're you're bearing the lead here. The analysis that you gave and the show kind of assented to. I think it was last week or the week before about Pete Buttigieg and who his base of support is. Yes. Those two stories back to back. The Out Magazine headline. Yeah. And the white guy in the Black Lives Matters T-shirt stealing a microphone from a black woman to trash Pete Buttigieg. Those two stories are the embodiment of That's the analysis a good point. that you're, you right, you're, you're right on the money. Because the reality is um, it's far more likely um, somebody that attends your evangelical megachurch on an infrequent basis is, is supporting Pete Buttigieg than um, the gay community. In fact, I, didn't I, 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 now that you mention it, I pointed this out on my own street last week, didn't I? Yeah. That there was a house down the street that's like always the first to have the Christmas stuff up. And they have the, they put out like, you know, free stuff for skateboard, you know, or not skate, roller skating, you know, rink tickets and stuff. And plus candy, you know, kids were always, we always had to stop there for Halloween because they always gave out the best stuff. They've got the Pete Buttigieg sign in the yard, right? And the lesbian couple lives next door to me. They don't have a Pete Buttigieg sign and they're both public school teachers. I'm guessing they would probably be all in for an Elizabeth Warren. So that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Yeah. 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 Isn't it interesting how you can just, in that party, just kind of tag where you think people are based it's, on their identities? Except it's not, it's, not, it's not as congruent, though. 
Okay, meaning that it, you don't have the gay lobby coming full out for Pete Buttigieg, per se. Um, but it's still the identity of, I need the world. It's the woman who wrote that letter to Christopher Hitchens before he died. After, she, after Christopher Hitchens um, uh, debated uh, Douglas, uh, whom I'm thinking about in Moscow, Idaho. The pastor. Oh, Wilson. Douglas Wilson, yeah. After Hitchens had done all those debates with Douglas uh-huh. Wilson around the country and in the pages of Christianity Today, and she wrote a letter to Chris Hitchens, the famous atheist, before he passed away, saying that uh, she was an inclusive Christian, a progressive Christian, was very moved by some of Christopher Hitchens' skepticisms of Christianity, and he wanted her, she wanted him to know that he wasn't, she wasn't one of those people that believed in the inerrancy of the Bible or the virgin birth like Douglas Wilson. And Hitchens wrote her back and said, ma'am, might I suggest that if you don't believe in the inerrancy of the Bible, the virgin birth, that Jesus died and rose again, you may be many things, several of them quite nice and pleasant, but you are most certainly not a Christian, right? Right. Yeah. That's, that's that crowd. Okay. And you know them too. They were your friends that were first in line to vote a couple times for Obama in 08 to show they weren't racist. And then like midway through his second term came to you and whispered, I think I, this guy's like a communist. We, right? You know people like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah we, in, 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 in the white suburbs, I know legions of people like this. All right. And so that, that group is what you're learning is that's, that's far more likely to be voting for Pete Buttigieg than the actual rainbow jihad base. Right. And is that, that we're group learning? is much larger. I agree. It's large. Which is when yeah. I say that's what yep. people want when I talk about Pete Buttigieg. That's that progressive glee club, yeah. and we, we the fan they they really want the to clapping be in, seals. Yes, they yes. want to be in on that very badly. They're 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 the people that sit next to you in church, and when they come for you and your kids, they're going to be the ones out on the sidewalk that let them to your house. I've talked about I've used this analogy before. They'll be the ones out on the on the sidewalk, you know, uh, in front of your house, and they'll they'll have a very concerned look and head nod, disapproving. And, you know, they'll have wished it had not come to this, but it's for your own good, of course, because you, you didn't, you know, you, you remain um, ensconced in your hatred and your bitterness and bigotry, right? So, but no self-awareness at all. So what, what's, the, what's the goal of going after, what's the goal? What, don't, don't think the way we think. Let's think the way Out Magazine thinks about some things, about this thing. Let's just stick to this thing, okay? What is Out, Out Magazine? Because this is where me as a, as a, as a recovering political operative, I, I just look at this because you see this, you know, I can, I can tell you this guy at Fox and this guy at Washington Examiner and this guy at this, at this place is in, is, is in the tank for this candidate and is ghostwriting for them. I can just tell you by the way they write and the way they frame things. And, and I'm not impervious to that, which is why I just told you up front, I'm working for the Cruz campaign and factored that into all my analysis rather than pretending to be objective when I'm not. Okay. Um, so this just strikes me as somebody who's butt hurt. Huh? Yeah. Now he's gone from challenging the old man to thinking, I, when I grow up, I want to be just like him. <laughs> Oh, mercy. But this strikes me as a, somebody who writes for this magazine who's, who's butthurt that the candidate that they're either getting paid by or it more approves of. Uh, Buttigieg is, is, is um, you know, is eating into, you know, their support 
And this is just using this platform to try and drag him down. I, that, so, I think it's just this is just simple politics one hundred and one. But they, what do you guys think? They have their they have their schisms and progressivism yeah. as well. They have their schisms. I mean, this would be like I don't I don't know um, somebody writing um, a, a column for Charisma News that the Republican uh, one of the Republican um, presidential uh, primary candidates is uh, a more Arme- uh, you know, maybe not Armenian or is a four-point Calvinist instead of a five-point Calvinist, and that's not good enough. I think it's maybe akin to something like that, maybe not quite one-to-one analogous, but I think it's maybe something like that as well. It's like, hey, this guy's not fully on yeah, board. I saw this in the last primary. I, had, I, I would get emails constantly from people Hey, I know that Ted Cruz's dad, Raphael, is a pastor, but I heard that he's he it preaches dominionist theology. Do you know anything about that? And eventually, I just started asking people if they could tell me what that means. How many people do you think actually knew what it meant? Was it a low Few. number? It's it's a very low. Yeah, very. I was actually going to give the exact same Aaron answer as Aaron. He yeah. he's dead on. I think I I got this back when Cruz was running uh, from a fellow uh, Catholic who you who you'd know if I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Or, and it was just like, how can you, based on, I supported him last time. You mm-hmm. know, I, it means I supported him when he was like, had no pulse. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would let it be known. I'm going with this guy. And afterwards, people thought I was like, a, when I was at the register, thought I was like some kind of faith healer because I called that. But then you, then my a fellow Catholics, you, know, you can't make another choice. That, that Aaron is exactly right is about, at least that's part of it, if not all of it. So Out Magazine wants what then from Pete Buttigieg? What do they want? And I, I, here's why I think for those of you that are watching this, you're like, this is the, the longest conversation about Out Magazine that's ever happened in the history of Blaze TV radio and podcast. And I hope no one ever comes close to approaching this record ever again. But I think it is very important. Three-dimensional thinking. Understand why we believe what we believe. Understand what other people believe. Uh, about what they believe, and then understand what other people believe, what they believe about what we believe. I, it, it is very important to understand the the people you're both called to, on one hand, stand up to, and then on the other hand, uh, reach with the with 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 the gospel. It's very important, I think, to understand where that culture or subculture yes. is coming from. So, what what's their end game here? Well, what fancy stained glass window word that starts with an I? Is progressivism fundamentally about idolatry and iconoclasm? Yeah, he's not breaking this thing. He's supposed to break. Well, he's coming the thing. across too mainstream. Yeah, you got to break, and you see that with the ads that he's uh, they're Uncle Tomming him. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you got to. You, you can't. There's no redeeming. He's the house homo. Is that is that was that what out is, is out magazine basically calling him the house homo? Is yes. that what they're doing? Yep. Yes. So. That's fascinating because if you do watch the ads, and we have been talking about this for the last few weeks on this show. Um, if if you do watch his ads, they do they 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 over they reek of of mainstreamness, and we don't have to force people off their health care plans if they don't want. Why do we take all these ridiculous positions that are politically unattainable and drive people away that um, should be supporting us? Right? That's he he runs a lot of those kinds of ads. That was that that's similar to the ad we saw him running in South Carolina that you mentioned. The other day, or that you had in your montage yesterday, Aaron, and that's emblematic of a guy who comes from Poduck, Indiana, and so he 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 has to live in a community and be surrounded by people 
that may not necessarily agree with him, the way he lives his life, him having a husband. Uh, he doesn't come from these 15% of counties that Hillary Clinton won, where the, the idea that people like us may exist just can't even be tolerated. And, and so he's messaging along those lines and is finding success with it. And you're saying that um, the true rainbow jihad believers are finding this to be basically a, a, a house homo sellout. That, that's what he is. Yeah. I think that's it. Hmm. Here's where, how long before conservative media now, well, let me rephrase that. How long before <clears throat> conservative media comes to Pete Buttigieg's defense here? If you see where I'm going with this, right? Isn't that kind of how it works? Isn't everything we do a reaction to their overreaction? And you can go ahead and email me. Who speaks at CPAC first? Pete Buttigieg or Steve Davis? That's Pete. Yes. Yes. Um, on Trump's decisions, both of these things, reading through these yesterday, strike me as trial balloons. Strike me as, uh, and this is one of the oldest political tricks in the book. Let me throw something out there and just kind of see what reaction I get. And it's from sources. All right. And you know what our position is on this show, whether if it's sources about or from the White House, we just think so many people uh, lie about this White House and so many people within this White House just lie easily that on both sides and they all and they both feel justified in lying to and about one another, given the way that each other is treated, that. You know, um, if you're holding up, if you got a logo over your shoulder that says truth be told here, that this is very precarious territory for us to wade into as a program, which is why we typically do not. But I would I would take both of these as trial balloons to see what the what the reaction is. Um, I think I think the reaction, if you're asking me if they were to do either one of these, I think the reaction to um, declaring the drug cartels as terrorist organizations would be met with, you know, except for, you know, that those folks are never supporting Trump anyway. So among people who would potentially support Trump, I think it would, if they're paying attention, I think it would be met um, resoundingly positive. Yes or no? Yes. And it's also very hard to push back against it in a Yes. way that does not seem insane yeah because like we said from we, looking at this question from the other side of the equation yesterday trying to come or was it two days ago there aren't any good answers as to why we haven't already eradicated these uh -huh. cartels given mm -hmm. our ability to do so our military superiority all all of the answers as to why we haven't done this like 20 years ago are bad right which which means therefore the inverse is also true if we declare them as terrorist organizations you're going to have a hard time coming up with people who would legitimately oppose this here's the here there is a political danger here though for Donald Trump if you make this declaration you better follow through we better be pulling body bags out of drug cartel compounds all right you better follow through if you're going to make that kind of a declaration because here's what you risk if you don't you risk a situation where your opponents on the, in the Democratic side now start attacking you on this issue from the right. Now, it's a, that's a total fraud and scam. We recognize this. But the kinds of voters that are really squeamish about supporting you that you need in this next election, that are just looking for reasons and excuses to get rid of you because they're tired of it, this gives them a reason and excuse. All right? It, it's, it's, it's why the president was hurt by declaring an emergency declaration on the wall 
and then nothing we, nothing happened. Do not declare them a terrorist. Do not do this unless you are willing to follow through. Up and down on that. Well, I'm up in a world that makes sense. I just don't know if the left has it in them to triangulate that way. I mean, you you are right, but you're a grown-up. They're not grown-ups. So which one of these candid, flesh and blood actual candidates is going to try to pull that off? No. On I, the left. I, that's what... You, you're just too... I mean... You don't. I have total, I have, de- I have total depravity. I have, I have nothing. Rashida, total depravity. Rashida Talib and Elon Omar will come out the next day saying, "No, we should pay for the abortions of cartel members." So what, is, you're, what you're telling me is the is the ISIS ISIS Nazi party is never going to really attack Donald Trump if he declares drug cartels racist and does nothing about it. I don't. You're see right. It you're, no, 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 no. You're right. I'm wrong. You're right. I'm wrong. And and that puts us in a really terrible position because it just means he can say and do whatever he wants there and, be, we are. and have no accountability on any level whatsoever. He can just say and do whatever he wants. Which is what you've also said about the GOP yes. in general yeah. in the past. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, does the standard change if he, if he does send tens of thousands of troops to the Middle East for Iran? Oh, this one's way more sketchy. You think this one is way more radioactive? Yeah. Because I agree with not, you on that. Not absolutely so, but definitely more. Yeah. Because that's now where you'll have people in your own base, the people that just feel like they have to deflate you no matter what you do will defend it. But then you'll have some of your own MAGA people that will stand up and say, hell no, this isn't America first. You'll split your own base on something like that. Yeah. Again, it may not matter given what the Democrats are, but it does come with more risk than the other. I agree with that. Josh Hammer from The Daily Wire is going to join us next. If you are one of millions of Americans struggling with chronic pain from too much inflammation in the body, relief could be one website away. When you go to relieffactor.com, get the three-week quick start for just $19.95. Call their bluff. They're offering it to you for a dollar a day, way below cost, because they're confident you're going to see results. They're going to have you coming back for more. Now, when I was just a guest here on various Blaze programs, um, I would hear the host at the time rave about this product, and I'm like, is it really that good? And then earlier this year, they had me give it a shot, and whoa, Nelly. Uh, I mean, I, the results I have seen, the difference in post-workout recovery, soreness when I get up in the morning, et cetera, uh, it's a part of my daily regimen. And it's not just because it's it works, but the way that it works. There's other products out there that work and help in this area as well. But what I love the most about Relief Factor is, is these two things. Number one, it's 100% drug-free, and then number two, it's an all-natural, four-ingredient formula created by doctors. So these are healthcare professionals, physicians who can prescribe drugs, but they know your body is more than a machine. It's a living, created organism. And so they want to help it to heal itself the natural way whenever possible. Now, if you think, if you're skeptical now, and you're thinking, I rave about this product way too much, Call our bluff. It's a dollar a day. What do you have to lose for a dollar a day for three weeks, except maybe, finally, hopefully, the pain? Go to relieffactor.com. Get the three-week quick start for $19.95 at relieffactor.com. One of the topics that we have we have paid some attention to the last few months on this show is this debate uh, that uh, Sorab Amari at First Things in the New York Post, right, Tom? That's the other yes. place he's at? Okay. Uh, that he picked with uh, David French, formerly with National Review. And now I think he is with the publication that um, 
Uh, Jonah Goldberg started. He, mm. the, he went the over there, dispatch. I believe. The dispatch. dispatch. All right. Thank you. And and at first, I was, you know, you guys brought this to me right away when this thing blew up in the summer. And at first, I was, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna set this one out because I, it, I wanted to make sure this was not a 2016 never Trump proxy fight. Where I, no, I, I need you to justify my Trump vote, or I need you to justify that I didn't vote for him. Because a lot of the so-called, you know, future of conservatism debates that I have seen uh, in, in, over the last few years have really just been proxies to justify why I did or didn't vote for Trump. And I, I, and I'm, I, I got off that train. I got, I'm moving on with the rest of my life, right? But then once this thing persisted and, it, and, and they started actually doing speaking engagements together and we started getting some real substance, then, you know, hey, now I'm, I'm much more interested in this debate. I followed a little bit more closely. I would, I would tend to lean more on the Sorob side. He kind of lost me when he decided to put on his virtue signaling shirt with Thomas Jefferson or whatever about a month ago that I just thought was a beyond ridiculous take. So I, I, that's why I was interested when I saw what Josh Hammer over at the Daily Wire posted on Twitter about this recently. And I said, hey, let's get Josh on the show to talk about it and here he is good to see you brother how are you i'm doing great steve always a pleasure to see you so let, before we get into your specific take what was your you know view big picture view of this debate do you think i was wrong and being leery that this was just another always trump never trump proxy fight from 2016 or do you think it was that, that there was more meaning to this one right away so I kind of personally got deep into it right away, but it wasn't really immediately clear what these guys were debating at first. It kind of only evolved over the past few months to make it, to make it clear what was actually going on. Um, let me just clarify off the top, Steve. Uh, I'm personally friendly with both Sorab and David. So to the extent that this fight has been ad hominem or personal at all, and it, it really hasn't been for the most part, but to the limited extent it is, I sit that part of it out firmly because I have a tremendous amount of respect for both individuals. But... I think at the beginning, it was not entirely clear what they were debating, but it, it, it's, it soon progressed into basically, I think David has become kind of an avatar or a proxy, if you will, of kind of Reaganite Heritage Foundation, National Review style fusionism, the traditional three-legged stool of fiscal, social, and national security conservatism, very kind of lowercase o orthodox. And Sorab and the First Things crowd is trying to take a look at what's going on around the world. They're looking at Brexit. They're looking at the rise of nationalist figures like Bolsonaro in Brazil, like Orban in Hungary, and obviously the president's right here in our country. And we're trying to figure out, like you said, Steve, what the actual future of conservatism is going to look like. Can we wed ourselves to this fusionist national review, three-legged stool consensus, or is it time to perhaps try to rethink outmode orthodoxies and perhaps go towards a slightly nationalist and dare I say populist track. I'm fascinated that you saw it that way because when, when I decided to, to, to start paying attention to it is when I actually thought it was something else. I, I thought it was um, David French and I don't know him that well. I've always had a, I've gotten along with him just fine. He's been on my show numerous times over the years, but you know, we would have these arguments about, um, a certain Senate candidate in Alabama uh, before his um, night, alleged nightlife in rural malls in the 70s apparently came to light. Okay. But it was this, it, it, he, he, there's this notion, and it's particularly, and, and this is a, a community you've been a part of. This is particularly true in the conservative legal community that the left can disabuse the system as much as they want to damn America. 
But if we actually attempt on any level whatsoever to confront them with anything other than the very system they set up for us to fail, where it's it's heads they win, tails they lose. If we try to do anything, if we say anything other than the courts have spoken, if we say anything other than, um, you know, I guess that's the new law now, then we're tearing down the Constitution and uh, we've lost, we're not, you know, we're helping the left to tear down America. And this idea that we're having this process argument over the Chevron doctrine. Meanwhile, in Olympia, Washington last night, people that were mentally ill who don't know what their gender is literally went to the city council meeting and and lost their, their poo, Josh, because the city council wasn't using the right color scheme to honor their mental illness. You're not honoring my mental illness right. And, and, I, and what I saw was Sorab was was trying to say, what at what point of escalation do we actually respond with something other than an Ed Fielner white paper? Do you think that's kind of what I kind of thought it was? Your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think you basically just nailed it. I mean, I think one decent proxy, and you mentioned the the religious liberty fight. I think back to February, it was kind of almost an antecedent to this Amari versus French ongoing feud. Back in February, there was a very, very interesting showdown on the Senate Judiciary Committee where, you know, freshman Senator Josh Hawley, who full disclosure, I've become pretty friendly with him. But he started grilling this top Trump judicial nominee, Naomi Rao, who I also know. She was the judge who was picked to replace Brett Kavanaugh on the D.C. Circuit. You used to clerk on the and, Federal Circuit Court of Appeals. I want our audience to be reminded of that. Yeah. OK. Correct. Yeah. I, I, so I, clerked, I, I clerked on the Fifth Circuit. Naomi and I actually both went to the same law school. So I, I, I know her well. But... What happened was I, I, Senator Hawley was questioning then Naomi Rauch. She wasn't a judge yet. He was questioning Naomi pretty rigorously as far as substantive due process, abortion, and pretty core social conservative concerns. Here's the issue. The issue was that she was nominated to that court as, a, an, as an administrative law expert to talk about the things that you're talking about, Chevron deference, our deference, kind of these kind of nerdy, quirky, inside the beltway, white paper-esque things that animate this conservative elites, but don't really seem to be doing a whole lot for the folks in the middle of the country. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of an antecedent to this whole debate is the left is trying to destroy us, Steve. They are trying to run us out of the religious, uh, of the public square, excuse me. They don't want to debate us anymore. They literally just want to shun us, ostracize us, take our guns, destroy our churches and synagogues. And David French is over here saying point of order. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I wrote a piece for um, for my friends at Claremont Institute back in September called um, Our Constitutional Order Prioritizes Justice, Not Procedure. And here's where here's where I got that from. I, I, I was reviewing the preamble, actually. You know, people forget that, like the we the people phraseology before the Constitution, Article one even starts that the framers are telling us literally why they are drafting and codifying this system of governance for us. And among the things that they say that they are trying to do is to establish justice and promote the general welfare. Now, to be clear, they also say they want to secure the blessings of liberty, but that actually follows after establish justice and promote the general welfare. And I was reviewing the Federalist Papers, and I I read back to Federalist 57, which is kind of an obscure one. It's not one of the Federalist 10, Federalist 51, the most often cited ones. James Madison expressly talks about how we are trying to increase virtue and train leaders to promote the common good. So there's a lot here in, in founding era political theory to support what Sobermari is doing in terms of promoting a more kind of wholesome, national, uh, solidaristic vision of the, of the good life, really. And I think that's where, I mean, I, I shared all the same 
in 2016, concerns about what a Trump presidency could mean, given his demonstrated character up until that point that David had when he was being tossed around as someone that was uh, was being you know considered to run uh, you know before they apparently ended up you know seventy three spots down the totem pole and and found some guy named Evan McMullen instead and I sent him a personal note and we had private exchange I encouraged him to do that because I thought that conservatism needed to have a voice in a national election but what we've seen these last few years where the stuff that you know, we used to get together at our conferences and talk to each other, and we used to say, this is where the left's going to ultimately go if we don't do blank, if we don't stop this, you know. This stuff's all now happening right now in real time. And I am just fascinated by the notion of that that you believe the antidote is to play by some, you know, archaic set of unwritten rules. Like let's put let's, you. You and I are both sports fans. Let's make a sports analogy here, okay? Let's bring in Major League Baseball, which I think is a good analogy for the politic, the way the political conservative world works, because it's a sport built on unwritten rules, traditions, uh, those sorts of things. Okay, so you're out there, you're out there losing your mind about the about unwritten rules of the kangaroo court in your dugout. Meanwhile, the other pitcher with the camera on is is scuffling the ball with a razor blade. The, the umpire is watching them do it, doing nothing about it. Actually, when he drops his razor blade, the umpire, see that as the federal judge, walks out to the mound, hands him another razor blade and says, hey, in case you drop this, you know, I mean, keep scuffling the ball. They get to cheat as much as they want. And meanwhile, you're in your own dugout arguing about, you know, well, you know, you're, you're supposed to put the bat right down and not admire your home run. You see where I'm getting with this? That seems to be what French is arguing to me. What am I missing? Yeah, I don't think you're missing a whole lot. I mean, now look, in the founding era vision, obviously the states were supreme. Madison tells us in Federalist 45 that the powers delegated to the federal government are few and far between. The powers left to the states are numerous and indefinite. Um, the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment is actually a very good example. The original meaning of the Establishment Clause was not to say like you can't pray in public, obviously. It was to allow each state to establish its own church. But what I'm getting at, actually, is that that entire vision of this kind of like federalist, lowercase f federalist, live and let live vision was predicated on a basic set of yes. shared morals, yep. traits and customs. I yep. mean, John Adams, it's a very famous quote. The Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. Mm -hmm. It was it is inadequate for anyone else. What happened over the next 150, 200 years, really escalating, obviously, after Woodrow Wilson and FDR and really with the rise of the new left since the 1960s, even even more so. And then the new new left in the 21st century, obviously, is we have lost any semblance of mm -hmm. that shared morality, customs and traits. And what happens is, as you know, are these unspoken traditions, these unwritten rules have just been decisively eroded. And they've been eroded so much so that if our side's response is to retreat to procedural nuances and simply say, uh, you know, like, uh, what are we doing here? Like live and let live. I mean, our, our, our live and let live message, Steve. That, that might have had political valence in the early 19th, mid 19th century, perhaps, 
is utterly unpersuadable and feckless when our enemy, again, literally wants to drive us out yes, of existence. Yes, that's, ex- that's exactly right. And see, I, I'm, I, I don't buy, I, I, having read David's work for years, he is a conservative. And I resent this idea that depending on your views on Donald Trump in any given day determines whether you're a conservative or not. All right, I, I, I push back against that with maximum prejudice. What, I, what I'm trying to get people like him to understand like Bill Crystal was never a conservative, okay? But what I'm trying to get somebody like David French to understand is that if you don't, David, if you don't get the point, the, the DEFCON 1 status that we are at right now as a culture, and if you don't get why people are at, the, at, are at an existential angst breaking point, tipping point right now, Boy, if you, if, if you don't like Don, Donald Trump's particular peccadilloes and his particular uh, shady areas and, and uh, you know, uh, the, the red that's in his moral ledger, people will turn to increasingly more desperate figures that speak to their angst when folks like you will not. And I've used this analogy before. I, I used this analogy to Ted Cruz during the campaign about the rise of Trump. People would prefer that the Gary Cooper sheriff, the nice guy, saved the town from the banditos. But if the Gary Cooper sheriff will not empty the chamber and and have smoke coming out of his revolver with a pile of bodies to show them that they're not, it's safe to come out now, when when Clint Eastwood rides in, nee, 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 nee. when he rides in on a pale the pale rider rides in, yeah, you know there's going to be some collateral damage and it, it, it's probably going to make more of a mess than needs to be made. But you also know all of the bad guys are going to be dead, and if folks like French do not figure this out then they're, going to, they're helping to create the dynamic where people are going to turn increasingly more to provocateurs that speak to their concerns like this, Josh. Yeah, I think that's exceedingly well said. Um, to tie back a little bit to, a, to the tweet that I think you, that, you, that you were referencing at, at the beginning that I said about this debate, here's how I see it. Some people view the pursuit of liberty as kind of the ultimate intrinsic good, mm-hmm. right? And to, and, to be, and to be clear, the Declaration of Independence, like very clearly says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that men are entitled to you know, natural rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Liberty was very important. But liberty, by definition, cannot, is not, and must not be the end-all, be-all of why we establish governments. Uh, no serious political thinker other than Ayn Rand, I think, has ever thought that, going back to antiquity, the Greeks, Romans, uh, Jewish, Christian thought, any of it. Um, it, it has always been thought of something as greater than that, because what what is endless liberty run amok? I mean, take that to its logical conclusion. There is an endless stream of writings from the American founding fathers talking about how licentiousness and personal vice would ultimately be societally ruinous. Um, and, and, you know, and, you know, back in the original kind of like uh, post uh, Bill Buckley, National Review, Frank Meyer kind of fusionist consensus, they did talk a lot about this. But I think what happened is even within like conservatism inc so to speak within the conservative fold a lot of this talk has just died and the emphasis has just become overwhelmingly on the pursuit of liberty above all else that again that just cannot be right there has to be something ahead of that so i I think what the amari side of this debate is saying is that ultimately you take it back to aristotle who talked about the pursuit of human flourishing Mm -hmm. uh, right i mean that was really the term that that, that he used in the Greek. And it, it, that really does mean the pursuit of the common good and ultimately the highest good. And we can debate to the end of time what exactly that means. But um, kind of retreating to procedural nuances, to Fourth, Fifth, Sixth Amendment protections, um, 
this is just it, it is an inadequate remedy to the current crisis of civilization that the right faces and being so under siege by a revanchist left. That's very well said. Inadequate remedy. That's a great name for a garage band, by the way. Inadequate, <laughs> inadequate remedy. I like that. Good to see you, Josh. Thanks for joining us here today on uh, Blaze TV. Always good to see you. You too. Thanks. Gentlemen, quick thoughts on uh, that conversation we just had with Josh Hammer. That last part rings true and why I was less frustrated for longer than both of you with French because I uh, came up uh, reading him, appreciating his writing. But when he justified in his words uh, story hour, drag queen story hour, because, quote, that's the price of liberty. I just snapped. I'm like, "Uh, no, no, that's a bullet in the head, a self-imposed bullet in the head. Because it begs the question, at what point? Will we acknowledge when someone points a gun in our face? Right. At what point will we do that? Right. right. I mean, if, 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 if what gun do they have to point at your face? Then how big does the barrel have to be? Right. What kind of how how potent is the ammo before you'll finally admit? Oh wait, they've got a they've got a gun pointed at my. But head. what else will you? What other flags will you fly under the banner of liberty and freedom and say, hey, that's cool? I mean. Really? That's what your faith teaches you? I mean, set aside just that the legalese of it all. I mean, come on, you can not freedom is not libertinism. I mean, there's no there's no reading of scripture that can tell you that this is wrong on every level. Uh, And to look that in the eye makes me think that, you know, you're more dangerous. People like David French right now are more dangerous than the one than the people at the city council meeting. I mean, people like David French give them cover to do what they do. Hmm. Aaron, you have a quick thought? Yeah. The solution it, it, on the one side, on the French side, is elect more Republicans. That's the end. That, that, that really is the end solution. That, that's their solution so we can get better judges or actually reassert first things and founding principles on the other. Uh, I, I like actually first things. Th- those things worked out pretty well so far anyway. All right. We'll come back with Hour 2 live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Stay tuned. <laughs> And we're back at it with hour number two, live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio podcast. If you are listening today via the podcast, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review on the podcast platform, the viewer preference, the more of those we get, the more of those all-powerful, all-knowing algorithms help us to find more people like you, and then the more likely we are to get to continue to do this for a living. And I think all of us want that, or at least the, the, the three of us do. Thank you to the thousands of you that have sent us a five-star review already. Consider sending more. I don't know if that's allowed, but let's find out together, shall we? 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. In fact, let us be the official show of your five-star review burner accounts. Like, we'll we'll take 20,000 five-star reviews from seven people. It all adds up the same, right? You don't care, do you? Do you care? Whatever keeps those coattails moving, man. (laughs) Nice. I'm just here to be the wind beneath your wings, Dace. Yes. 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. Try liking us on Facebook, but I wouldn't get your hopes up. You can also follow us on Twitter 
at Steve Dace Show. This portion of the show brought to you by our friends over at RidUZone who know that it can be difficult to get your appetite, your cravings, your portion sizes under control, mainly because your body was made to crave and conserve calories. That's your base nature, first of all, because it's only been a recent development in human history that food was readily available to mass populations. But then throw in, you're not, a, you, so you don't believe in victimology on this show, okay? So throw in then your bad choices. You know, you just abused your food and your body for so long that now all of a sudden you just want to get up one day or several days or months later and say, all right, hey, flip a switch. Let's do this the right way. That's not easy to do, all right? And so you can work hard and still your brain hasn't been retrained. And that's where Riduzone comes in because thankfully your creator put a molecule in your body called OEA. And when your body is working optimally, it sends a signal from the belly to the brain to let the brain know when you're full. And then the brain does its metabolic thing from there. Unfortunately, though, when you just kind of ran that stop sign for so long, that molecule, that signal just ain't what it used to be. And that's where Riduzone comes in. It boosts your OEA simply with more OEA. It is not loaded with chemicals, additives, fillers, preservatives of any kind, caffeine, stimulant, none of that stuff. It's just OEA. And that's why it's vegan-friendly, gluten-free, and FDA-approved. If you want to give this a shot, try it for three months because it takes about 90 days for new habits to form in the subconscious, all right? So try for about for, for 90 days, three months at 30% off if you use my name, Steve, as your promo code at riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, riduzone.com, promo code Steve. And now it is time for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Thank you very much, big voice guy. <laughs> Three non-political questions, because we all know that watching people with mental illness complain about how their mental illness is not being honored quite, uh, quite correctly by a public institution like City Hall in Olympia, Washington. We just need a break from stuff like that, I would say. Question number one, what's on your Mount Rushmore of all-time athletic jerseys? So my Mount Rushmore of all-time all-time great athletic jerseys. Okay, so yeah. sports uniforms. Sports uniforms. San Diego Superchargers, Powder Blues, unquestionably are on that list. Yeah. I got to throw I got to throw one homer in there, okay? Uh, the Michigan home with the blue and the and the winged helmet. Um I think the greatest college football uniform ever created as much as I begrudgingly hate to admit it, but we keep it real here on the show. The the Notre Dame green and gold has to be on that list too. All right. So the Notre Dame green and gold Michigan's home uniforms, San Diego Superchargers, well, now L.A., uh, Powder Blues, and, oh, boy. This one's hard because you could go iconic, the Yankee pinstripe, right? Um, you could do that. Um, uh, you look at so many of the great, uh, you know, the, the Pittsburgh Pirate, We Are Family era uh, belongs there. But uh, I'm going to go personal again with a mesh of both an iconic look but a favorite team. And I'm going to put the uh, red army jerseys of the Detroit Red Wings on, on there. That's going to be my fourth one. Hmm. 
sounds good. That a, is that a good list? That's, yeah, yeah that's okay. absolutely a good list. Because, I mean, you could put there's, – there's tons of – I mean, I love North Carolina's Carolina blue basketball jerseys, you know. I mean, you could put tons of, of looks on here. I, I love Clemson when they wear the purple. That's, yeah. a, that's a great look too, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I sh- well the Brewers that that they're going back to classic look from that's another baby blue look right yeah uh, and any to all of the uh, the, the everybody's return the Cardinals and the Phillies return to the powder blue old schools those are mm-hmm. all sweet so mm-hmm. that's or the, even the, when the Phillies ran, had the burgundy ones the burgundies with the stripes mm-hmm. in the in the in the oh, yeah, mid eighties yeah, yeah. those were nice too yeah so there's uh that's one um, I will go with the. I will also go with uh, Notre Dame, and also like I'm playing the 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 original blue and gold or the green that I brought up. Which one are you talking about? Oh, e- either one. I okay. just think I that's they, they just have fantastic uniforms. All their color schemes happen to be like you you really can't go wrong. Uh, I do happen to like uh, like I think purple can be really bad or really good. I've always kind of liked the Washington Huskies. Uh, that look. Uh, I've always been partial. Like to- I could put UCLA on there. UCLA's mm. with the that's what I blue yeah, and gold. Mine. Yeah, yep. that's really pretty too. But that, I'm kind of covering that with the San Diego Chargers. Their their uniform schemes, not in terms of the color palette, is sim- is similar. And I also I like uh, Texas's burnt orange. I love a it lot. too. I love it too. And I like the hook'em yep. horns. I love the helmet. Just yeah. the, the the bright white with the burnt yep. orange steer. Just that pops. Yep. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, mine is a UCLA basketball, uh, specifically yep. uniforms. Although the football ones are basically the same, they look really good. Yeah, uh, the birds on the bat, St. Louis Cardinals, freaking love those, and they're even better with the throwback yep. blues. Yep. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, those are some That's an iconic one, and I thought about that one. Greats, yep. and I have to pick that too because they were the basis for my Iowa Hawkeyes. And then I'm on the fourth, the, the fourth uh, part there is uh, LSU football uniforms when they wear the purples. Well, when I'm they not, were, the, I don't like the all the all whites are I like, okay. I like but that purple whites. and gold. Yeah. That's not that's a, that's a good look. Indeed, it is. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Question number two: Would you rather be feared or loathed? Feared. Yeah, I'd much rather be feared, but I think one of them usually results in the other, right? Like Ken. Yeah. I, I, think. I mean, one of the one of the reasons why people hate dominant sports teams is there is there fear that oh. they're they're always going to be better than you right fear of the lord is the beginning of Liz- wisdom right. loathing is like the opposite of love so it uh, seems like that's pretty much answers it right there yeah but there's a diff- there's different kinds of fear you're yeah, yeah, yeah. a reverential fear yes yeah. yeah then there's there's a there's a different kind of fear but yeah i mean of course i'd rather be feared um but i do think often loathing is a is a result people loathing you as a result of their fear of you. They're, they can loathe you for other reasons, right? They're like, uh, um, you know, like you loathe a, a, a serial killer, okay? See, I mean, you can loathe people because they're wicked and evil, but I do think that often people create loathing for you because they fear you. I would rather be loathed. Mitch McConnell doesn't fear anybody who uh, is on or listens to this show. I'm just throwing out Mitch McConnell as the typical uh, stab you in the back rhino. Yeah. Uh, he loathes people like us, though. Loathes people like us. <laughs> and I think the uh, I think this side of, of heaven, this side of Eden, um, loathing, loathing is more of a sign of who who your enemies are than how how much people fear mm. you. So, what, what what made you or prompted you to ask that out of curiosity? Uh, my brain thinking, oh crap, I need another question this morning. <laughs> Number three, 
That's as good as reason as any. Okay. Number three, if you were the director and writer of The Mandalorian, where would you take the story from here? Um, you want to take this one first? I can go. But do you want to take this one first? If you have something to say, go ahead while I... You want to think about it? Yeah. Okay. Because I, I, I wanted to offer you the chance to go first in case without even realizing it, I was going to take away what maybe you were going to think of. No, I don't have anything that brilliant right off the cuff, okay. so I won't well, I don't know that it's brilliant, but I'll give it a shot. What, what, I, what I would do um, is, to me, I think you've, you've got two unanswered questions that are kind of at, the meta, at, at, at a meta level with Star Wars that this kind of ties into. And it could be a third, depending on whoever it was that was trying to procure the Baby Yoda character. Whoever wanted access to the child, that child as a specimen. Whoever, whoever that big bad reveal turns out to be could open up a third meta narrative, right? Depending on if it's some kind of character or figure of Star Wars lore that we're not mm-hmm. aware of, right? But for now, we know for, of, of two. And one is the, is the, is, um, the, man, the Mandalorian himself and the fact that all we really know about, unless you watch the Clone Wars cartoon, which is considered canon, all you really know about Mandalorians is Boba Fett and then Jango Fett. Although the way that they are defining what a Mandalorian is in this film or in the show, I wonder if, if they're going to, is, is Boba Fett even a Mandalorian? I don't think they are. Okay. And, and what, maybe he just lifted that armor off of somebody. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't really. But to me, the opportunity to kind of explore use this to explore the backstory of what has been kind of the white whale character of, of star Wars lore. There's been tons of curiosity and, um, kind of edgy, cool, chic coolness to Boba Fett. Who's I think in the star Wars movies, a collection of 10 minutes, all of our lives. Right. right? And so kind of a chance to use the Mandalorian to explore some of that backstory. Yeah. I would, that's how I, to me, this season would end with revealing whoever that big bad is that, that wanted to procure the baby Yoda. But then what, what's tying that, the Boba Fett angle into the Mandalorian. And then next season, what I would do is really going into who are Yoda's people? Who is this child? That would be the, the meta narrative, the backstory that I would, that I would pursue with season two. And then I would look at whether it's deserving of a season three based off of, um, you know, do I have another meta narrative to tie into? Otherwise, if you don't, here's what's going to happen. You're just going to run into Mandalorian versus the the villain of the week, Mandalorian doing the the shootout of the week. And that's cool for a while, but when you realize it's not leading somewhere, it becomes the walking dead. We're just drain circling. That's exactly right. Yeah. Actually, I, the Mandalorian, I hope, is, and it seems like he is, and sees your pre- your premise is right about the the broader world. It, it, this is the term that uh, Lucas used. He didn't invent it, as far as I know. I, I don't think he did. But the, the but the Mandalorian himself is the MacGuffin. The MacGuffin in Star Wars, the original Star Wars, is it's like what is the thing the characters are doing so you can learn about the characters mm-hmm. and drive the plot. It's like mm-hmm. find the Death Star plans. That's the MacGuffin. Here, the Mandalorian himself, he he can be both. He can be the main character that you learn about and learn to care about. But he is the MacGuffin. You we, you needed something cool to put in the middle of the Star Wars world mm-hmm. that you develop 
but everybody likes the Star Wars lore and what and you you, you know you basically said exactly what was kind of generally running in my in my mind you over three seasons established countless pivot points to go with and another new character i the mandalorian uh i i think if if this goes past three seasons i i i think you will have lost sight of what the whole purpose of the fun of all this is in the first place whether he dies or whether he just kind of wanders off into the sunset like a you know some sort of uh, Western. Uh, I really hope this is uh, the plan is as you say, because otherwise, it, we are destined to be part of a scheme just to steal our money, and we'll probably fall for it. Um, but it's not just—it's not going to be a lot of quality. I agree in general what you just said. The the the, the caveat I'd put on it that it's it, it's not doomed to fail if you go past three seasons would be it depends on who that big bad is. Okay, like. Um, is you know is 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 what if what if what if the big bad um is crimson dawn for example okay so crimson dawn is is the is the is the criminal syndicate that uh, the resurrected darth maul runs and that was revealed at the end of the han solo movie okay and so that han solo movie takes place what about uh 20 years before the Mandalorian does, right? Is yes, like, and the Mandalorian is twenty five years before um, before the Force Awakens. Before the Force Awakens, but five years after Return of the Jedi, yep. right? So, so, and I think the Han Solo movie takes place like like fifteen twenty years, or if I, I don't remember the exact time period, but let's estimate high and say it takes place twenty years before um, the events of, of of that we're watching unfold right now, and and you know if he is. The the if he's the instrument that is trying to acquire the Yoda character now, yo that that I mean you could that could be an entire season unto itself of of story material to milk there because he's kind of become Aaron's generation's Boba Fett a guy that there's a ton of edgy chic coolness and mystery about, but he was in a Star Wars movie for about 10 minutes. Is that a fair analysis or analogy? Mm, yeah, I guess okay. I'm not that hooked into it, but yeah, sure. That's, okay. that's Well, if it's going to... The Mandalorian is going to have to transform beyond where we are currently at in a way that basically... He's, the helmet is going to like really have to come off. I You can't have six seasons of the guy with the helmet on and have it be at the level of depth, I think, that it it's going to need to be he's going to have to change there's going to i i just don't understand this is interesting right now it really is but i don't it's also kind of gimmicky i mean they're already it 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 tried too hard with that moment like you you met this gal and she's like uh why don't you stay and starts to pull the helmet off i mean that was a little force there i don't that it's showing signs already of the things that it might, if it keeps teasing you like that, who's behind the helmet for it. We're, then we are in walking dead territory. I think you, you need to have a guy like at some point, the the consequences of what Four you're episodes t- in, man, he's like, he's already gripping. They, I'm not gripping. They, they, they I'm have, pointing they, out a reality. They, they have broken you. Haven't they? No, this I've back. I'm entertaining the show and you saw me. I, okay. I, there's a, th- I was, I've given up hope on the plot twist that I, had me for like 24 hours i just needed that moment and you gave it to me so thank you but uh you have any ideas on, Aaron? Do, you, do you really so, think the helmet thing 
a guy behind the helmet and is who is he and that that there was that tease there in this fourth yeah, yeah. Like, how long can that go on isn't that is, doesn't he die or something though if the helmet comes off or he can't put it back on or something he just can't be the mandalorian he, he won't be, be yeah. part of the way yeah yeah okay so i think it should go two or three seasons something like that i agree that we should know who the big bad is at the end of this season and then maybe next season I mean, it's a game, essentially a game of keep away, uh, and we start to learn more about the big bad and what the plans are from the big bad. If it is uh, Crimson Dawn, ooh, that'll be that would be super cool. And I think the end of the second season or the final season should should just end with a cliffhanger with the Mandalorian, you know, basically giving himself up to protect that Baby Yoda. We'll know maybe more about that by then, but we really don't know the fate of Baby Yoda which will set up maybe a completely new series. So that's kind of that's kind of where I would go with that. Okay. So anything else very trivial trivial before we move to a very awkward awkward segue. Thoughts and prayers for this segue. Yeah. All right. Well, I get one thing about baby I get, baby Yoda it seems like should tie if he's if this race is part of like the force more than any other race or something like that. It seems at the end, there should be some really cool tie in to the trilogy. We are just finishing up now, which mm-hmm. is what happens after that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if the force is awakening, mm-hmm. it seems like that th- there should be something there at the end about how that's connected. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. I like that. Maybe baby Yoda awakened it. Ooh. Of course the, the, I think it's, it's supposed to be Ray as who, is is Ray is the Force's yeah. awakening? I think is what that's supposed to be a metaphor for. Really, you're sure about that? At this I, point? I, I'm not sure. No, <laughs> I don't. No. Sorry. No. Because and, and it's because I'm not sure that they're sure. That's why I'm not sure. Jar Jar may be back. No, he's not. Don't do that. <laughs> okay. I didn't put it in the movie. But man, when we watched Episode One recently, I, I could not believe. I know. How did did no one come to him and say George? Or just everybody just dutifully cash a check? Yes. I mean, the, that, the dialogue in that film. And then the stereotypes. You know, you've got the step in and fetch it stereotype with Jar Jar Binks. You had a terrible Asian stereotype oh from a guy who claims to be some, you know, enlightened, you know, um, uh, you know uh, progressive, uh, you know, sage child of the 60s. I mean, this thing. I mean, we were the only thing missing was a, was you know who was the Sambo. I, I couldn't believe watching it again. That you, dude, you want you want something on Disney Plus that probably needs some triggering. That movie probably does. To be brutally honest, oh, the, there's the, some terrible stereotypes oh, yeah. in that film. Have you heard of the comedian Bill Burr? The name sounds and, familiar, but yeah. I'm not big on modern he got comedians. Some crap recently for the same reasons that Dave Chappelle did. He just doesn't okay. care. Uh, but he did a bit that's about, like, I think a dog died. But how you, as a man, you bury that stuff deep down. You know, you do not let it. And this is what happened to you and I. And now it's coming out now. We've had some time to process. Mm-hmm. But that's what happened to us at our first viewing when you and I are uh, in our mid, are we in our mid-20s when Phantom Menace Came comes out? out 99. So, yeah, so, yeah mid-20s. Mid, mid, 26 to, years to, old is what I was. We just, yeah. We were. I remember the feeling in there. I was. I went schizophrenic. Like this is Amy Star Wars. I, I'm supposed to love it. Yeah. But this is insane. What's happening? We, we went. Do you, I mean we went and saw a movie called based on a, a computer video game called Wing Commander Never that Mark Hamill is in, and what's his face that's married to Buffy? 
uh, whose dad was like on that uh, was like on Chico and the Man, Freddie Prince. Okay, <laughs> where Thank did you. we right. just go on that walk? Chico and the Man Chico, from the seventies. I know. Okay, all right. So uh, Freddie Prince Jr. and Mark Hamill are in, the, in this movie is terrible. It's based on a very popular computer video game from the nineties called Wing Commander. All right, and we went to this movie specifically because that was the first movie here in Des Moines that was going to have the episode one trailer ah we went in and thought we thought we were like the only ones loser enough to do this okay and it was we packed. get in it was packed the theater was ended up being sold out but do you remember and then feeling? when the movie when the after the trailer ended like only over 15 people were left people everybody paid a ticket to come in almost everybody paid a ticket to come in just to see the episode one trailer do you remember the trailer yeah, it's great. It is great. In the, the 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 ships that come over the hill, right? Well, the, and and when that guy says the death toll is catastrophic, and you're like, wow, this is and that's edited so well because when you see that guy's dialogue in the context of the full scene, you're thinking, at what community theater yeah. did they hire this yes. guy? Right, the the guy that plays Captain Tanaka. You're like, I I wouldn't, dude. I I wouldn't I wouldn't book you at the Chuckle Hut, brah. Yeah, I mean, I mean that guy's a terrible, and the way he kind of looks around, like he's looking for the cue of his line. I I cannot believe how bad this you, movie is. And if you look at that, the, the beginning of it, the very first scene is the mist and the the the, the horns of the Gungans, and they're coming out of the mist yeah. uh, for that war. Yeah, and you don't know anything about that, but that's like. It's like Avengers. It gives you that feeling about yeah. what's going to happen. Now I hate everything about the Gungans. It that was totally farce. They make the Ewoks look like the Battle of Thermopylae. It's just terrible. <laughs> the they do. Oh, and you know what's funny about it though is it still might have the best lightsaber fight of any of the Star Wars movies. Because that's oh that uh, it's we like should they, rack. It's like, it's like they spent all of their creativity and all of the talent they had left. On that scene, I want Aaron it, when we're done with the show. And Duel of the Fates, that music. Oh, the Duel of the Fates yeah. is it? Aaron, you should put up after the show the original trailer of Phantom Menace. It's great. You can't believe that the movie. I remember dial. I came remember out being we, we still had dial-up modems back then. I remember, you know, and it kept timing out trying to download that thing, and then it took like three and a half hours to download that. I wanted because I I couldn't wait to see it at the theater. I wanted to see it so bad. We're yeah. old. Yes. Aaron said, what? No, I remember dial-up. Not as much as you, but... Okay, Gen Xers. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. All right. So, Theology Thursday here. I want to spend a couple of minutes before we... This actually is going to work out perfectly. Because I think this one needs about a five-minute disclaimer before we get to it. Because this one's going to be a little bit different. We had an email from one of our listeners here in the last couple of days. You guys have a chance. Have you guys had a chance to read that note? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. So I, we will do this sometimes to set you up for an effect to make a point this time. I'm not doing that fair. Yeah. The, well, the, I think, yeah, this, I'm, like I'm not setting this up to be some momentous thing just to, no, 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 you know, oh, to, I see to what crack no, some no. kind of smart alecky, no, you know, right. stun at the end. Right. No, no, this is legit because one of the things that we have to remember. And it's difficult. We're, we're in this world where we're interconnected more than ever before, but we're also more impersonal than ever before. Right? I mean, 
I think of how few people in my neighborhood I know their names. And I've lived there for 13 years. And I'm out and about and stuff all of the time in my neighborhood. It's just I'm, they're busy, I'm busy, I've got a life, they've got a life. You know, I, I have to be publicly available for part of this job. And so when I come home, I, I kind of just want my own time. You know, how many people that I see every Sunday, I had this happen, saw this, saw this pregnant gal with her husband at church the other day. And, I'm, and I kept looking, I'm like, why does she look so familiar? I go to the gym Monday morning, the next morning. Who's working behind the counter hmm. at, at the Y? This woman is. And, and, and she looked at me and I looked at her and we were both almost said simultaneously, were you at church yesterday? That, is that not like a metaphor for the world in which we live? Sure. Yep. We see more people than ever before. We know each other less than we ever have. That's absolutely true. And when we see videos like what Aaron had in the montage of, of people that are just painstakingly mentally ill. And then the, 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 the gentleman who's disabled, it's not like he's, he needs to look for, for things to struggle with. Right. I mean, I mean, and he comes in afterwards. It's not like he, he's, he's, he's not familiar with suffering in life. Or he, he's like, he's got it easy. He's like, this isn't your quintessential spoiled white kid who just can't believe mom and dad raised him in a $180,000 house with a two-star garage with all this suffering in the world. And they go to college and someone handed him a Rob Bell book. And now, you know, uh, the, the, the heteronormative, heteronormative patriarchy has to pay for this, Right. This guy is, he's disabled. Basic functions he can't do on his own that we take for granted. And even he's caught up in this. He's like completely lost all perspective over a color scheme. And it's hard for us to see that stuff and not just say, and and treat everyone that's in the midst of this as a monolithic construct. And say, that has to be defeated. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. It does need to be defeated. But there's a difference between saying that has to be defeated and they have to be defeated. And I think the challenge that we have is to remember those that are afflicted with this spirit of the age disease. They were made in the image of God as well. Jesus died for them as well. And you'll get no no greater or more challenging reminder of this than when the stuff that's in Aaron's montage or you hear shows like, like, like ours discuss on a topical or theoretical level. But now when it's in your own home, that, that'll... that'll Stuff just got real, real quick when that happens. Sure. When it, when it's in your own home, and then, and then what do you do? What's what is the balance of grace and truth look like? What does mercy triumph over judgment on a narrow road look like? And one of our listeners sent us a note a couple of days ago. And he's confronting this in his home right now. And that's what we're going to talk about for Theology Thursday. What do we do 
when the theoretical becomes personal. I'm going to share this note with you guys, and then we're going to talk about it here uh, on our show for Theology Thursday when we come back live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Stay tuned. All right, so let's get to Theology Thursday and this note that one of our listeners sent us. He gave us his name and didn't say we had to um, to keep it concealed, but I'm going to make an executive decision and do that. Okay? Agreed. Um, and, and he writes, uh, my, my sister-in-law came out as transgendered about four years ago at the age of 15. She was born a female and now believes she is a male. Her entire family has been all for it from the beginning. Of course, they're all either agnostic or atheist. They started with buying her boy clothes and even took her to get her name changed on her 18th birthday. My wife is who I would call a baby Christian. She was upset when she first heard about it a few years ago, but had a, quote, change of heart and decided she was fine with it and just wants her, quote, brother to be happy. I've been struggling with this since the beginning. I know that it's wrong, but I've been afraid with what will happen between my wife and I if I decide to take a stand against this evil. I realize I can't hide from this any longer, and now my main concern is that my wife and I are about to start having children, and I know that I need to do everything I can to try to keep this evil from getting a hold of their future. I took my first step in this direction by saying I will not refer to my wife's sister as a he in our household. I also told my wife that I will teach our future children, you cannot, teach, you cannot change your gender, and that God made us either male or female. She proceeded to call me a hateful bigot, and that she may want to divorce me over this issue. Things have gotten better, and she has not brought up divorce since. Now to my main issue that I, I need some, some more advice with. I feel in my heart that I need to stop referring to her sister as a he in all circumstances, including when I am with my wife's family. But I know that if I do this, I will be excommunicated from my wife's family, and the worst thing is that my wife may divorce me over this issue. I do not want this to happen, but I cannot allow my future children to be destroyed by this evil. And if I don't bring up this issue now when we don't have children, I'm afraid I won't have the strength to bring it up when we have children because then I'll have even more to lose. I come from a broken home and one of my life's missions is to do everything I can to not have my future children experience the same broken childhood that I had. So they are better prepared for the evils of life when they reach adulthood. If you guys were in my situation, what would you do? Should I just stay quiet or should I take a stand and, and not refer to my sister-in-law as a he, even when I'm in her presence? Even though I will risk my marriage in the process, I am continuing to try to be a man of faith and integrity, and this has been weighing on my mind for years. Please know that my goal is not to antagonize my wife or her family by rubbing salt in a wound. I will continue to show as much love as I can to my wife and her whole family, even if they hate me. Please let me know if you guys have an opinion on this matter. I'm also going to seek the wisdom and counsel of some godly friends to try and come to the best conclusion on what to do. I want to start with, if, if you're listening here today, sir, I want to, I want to start with actually the very end of your, of your note. I, I, the very last paragraph, there is wisdom in a multitude of counsel. So I think it is absolutely wise to, to get as much godly counsel as you can, particularly if these people know your wife 
and any of your extended family in this situation at all. I, I think that is a wise course of action. But I want to I want to hone in on a phrase that you used here towards the end of your email that I hope will give you um, some encouragement. I, I wouldn't. I've not faced something like this yet in my own home. I have certainly faced plenty of problems in my own life, given the dysfunctional way I grew up uh, and with my own walk, but I haven't faced this particular situation. So I'm going to stop short of claiming I'm going to offer you some kind of guidance. I'm going to, I am though going to say I'm going to, I want to offer you some encouragement and it's based around this phrase, a man of faith and integrity. So a few years ago, a good friend of mine called me. And it was it was it was almost Thanksgiving. And he was concerned um when him and his wife got married, they were both um non-observ they both came from non-observant Jewish families. So both of them were irreligious when they got married well into the marriage. Then he um, dialed it up to 11 and said, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go from non-religious, non-observant, affluent Jewish family to I'm going to church with the Steve Daces of the world. And now we went from, uh, you know, given their backgrounds, we went, he went from a a cosmic step to interdimensional. (laughs) All right. It was going to be tough enough, but this wasn't. This made it even harder. And over the years, his wife was still. She got. She was resistant to it. She'd come to church every now and then because she saw positive changes in his life. When they finally had children, uh, she was okay with putting the children in Christian school because she saw enough positive change in her husband that even though she wasn't yet prepared to grab the rope okay she wasn't yelling at him to let go of it okay but now there's a new dynamic she's really close to her sister they grew up when when they were growing up the the they were you know the parents were often absent and so the sisters really bonded and are really close and the sister had had a string of failed relationships with men Uh, I think there was a divorce or two and other failed relationships. And out of nowhere, in her 40s, the sister decided that she was gay and a lesbian. Almost as if to say, you know what, man, I got I'm I'm switching teams. I I tried, I tried team dude and it didn't work out. You know, um, let me try team mayor, see if that works. And and her first serious girlfriend is way younger than her. And she wants to bring the girlfriend to his home for Thanksgiving. And he called me up. What, what do you think I had to do? And I, I thought about it for a second. We prayed together and I thought about it for a second. And, and here's what I asked him. You weren't a believer when you guys got married, right? And he said, yeah. I said, so I would assume were there, were there times, you know, um, before you got married, that maybe some of your college or high school buddies would come visit you? 
because he's very successful, lives in a nice big house. He's got plenty of room to, to host people, you know, and then maybe they had women that they weren't married to, but they were seeing or living with at the time and they'd come stay with you and you were fine with it then, right? He goes, yeah. He goes, then what about after you had were converted? When, when those friends, old friends of yours wanted to come and stay at your home with, with the, with women they weren't married to, did you permit that then? And he stopped and he paused and said, why are you asking me that? And I said, because if you attempt to impose a standard here that you yourself have not been willing to live by or to sacrifice relationships for that aren't nearly important in the grand scheme of things as this one is for your wife with her sister. If you, if you attempt to arbitrarily impose a standard here that you were willing to defy when it was on your side of the, your, your side of the equation, you're going to blow up your whole home over this. And so before you even think about how you're going to take this stand with your wife and everything else, you need to do an inventory of what's going on in your own life first. And that doesn't mean we have to be perfect. We're not. We're not. That, is, that doesn't mean you have to itemize every time you noticed a woman at the gym in a pair of yoga pants, you know. And you, you left the grotto after lighting a candle and then you drove, you got halfway down the road and realized, oh crap, and then last Tuesday I noticed too, let me go back. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm talking about is, are, have you shown even even imperfectly a willingness to live by the standard that you are going to try to enforce in your home? Have you already lived by the standard? And then when you have fallen short of it, have you been honest about that? If people bring charge, bring that charge against you, because what does the word Satan mean? Accuser. When the act, when, when, if they were to bring that accusation against you, would you get defensive? I mean, if it's not true, defend yourself. But if it is, would you get defensive? Would you make excuses? Would you try to blow it off? Or would you own it? Take responsibility. Because you cannot expect people that don't fear, have a true reverential fear of God. You cannot expect pagans to be believers. On the other hand, you are not to do in Rome as the Romans either. So this becomes a very, this is trying, this is the theological time of trying to hit the thermal exhaust port in the Death Star Trench. Good shot, kid, one in a million, or we're all dead. All right? This is a pass-fail exercise. <laughs> okay? All right? And don't, don't take the command if you can't see the mission through. You're not graded on a curve here. So you've got to do an inventory of you first. And to the individual that sent this email, I'd give the exact same. I'd start, I would go there with you first. If, if you have areas in your life where it's pretty obvious to everybody other than you, some things need to be addressed. Judgment begins in the house of God first. Why concern yourself about the speck of dust in your brother's eye before the beam in your own. You, you will blow up your family. Now, you may already be doing this. And then if you take this stand and it blows your family up, 
Well, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I pit husband against wife, mother against daughter, father against son. That's what the truth does. You know, do you know what happens when you take two pieces of wood and you and you pound them together in the form of a cross? Well, first of all, when you rub wood together, Todd, what do you get? Friction, right? Yes. Secondly, when you run your hands up against jagged piece of wood, what do you get? Slivers, cuts. This isn't a seamless issue. It's not a seamless process. But if your family blows up because you took this stand as a man of integrity, then that's on them. But if your family blows up because you took this stand before you really had accepted that you needed to be one, that then is on you. And so that's where the first thing I would do is I would take an inventory. You're concerned about what your future children may be exposed to by your mentally ill sister-in-law? Are you concerned about what your future children might be exposed to by you? Start there. And for all of you that would send us notes like this, whether it's this issue or another, I would have the exact same counsel. You cannot enforce a standard in your home that you are not living by. And then ultimately, it cannot be your standard because it's not. You didn't die on a cross. It's not your standard. It's God's. So therefore, you have to be just as accountable to him as you're asking other people to be. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. How did Paul follow Christ? I die daily, he said. I die daily. Are we modeling that? Because if we're not, then I would urge you to not even entertain this argument. You have zero chance of winning because you've, you've lost it already. Now, I don't know you or your life, so I don't know that you haven't. But I think that we need to start here with ourselves before we start anywhere else. Because, yes, there is a collective, no matter, no matter what hypocrisies we're all engaged in right now that is a mental illness and we need to say so on a general level on a on a collective general level but but we're not at a collective general level now this is now on a personal level now okay and now that we're on a personal level now it needs to be more personal and this is this is the seminary argument is god imminent or transcendent and the answer is yes he's both so when we're talking on a, on, a, on a corporate global scale culturally about this mental illness, God is transcended at that point, right? But when it shows up in your own home, that's when God needs to be imminent. And, and that's when we need to show that we are living a life of repentance as well. And I would always start there first. Gentlemen, your thoughts. Well, uh, of course, to all of that, I'm struck by uh, Jesus's uh, notion that uh, this one can only come out through prayer. Whatever your tactics and strategy are, uh, your approach to this, it should be dwarfed by the amount of time you spend on prayer on uh, this in particular. Uh, it's... it it. 
and I don't want that to sound trite anytime these days. I think we, we've marginalized uh, our spiritual weapons to such an extent um, as something, yeah, yeah, era of good feelings kind of thing. You, you, need, uh, you need to bring all the powers to heaven uh, to bear on this thing to the extent that you can, and prayer is the uh, vehicle uh, to doing that. Secondly, it's still hard. To, uh, there's other things that are hard to say from what uh, you're, what you lay out in your letter, and understandably so. Uh, while this was going to be frustrating, no matter what, it's hard. It, it it's hard to see if there's a level of antagonism in how and when this comes up, or if it just comes up more organically than that. I mean, I can't tell if fights are being picked. Um, which which signals problems beyond this issue because there are if, if fights are being picked and if this is antagonistic the, the i there's this is only prayer that can take care uh of this but if this is something that nobody nobody's enjoying they're having a hard time with uh, there is a there's a way where at least hope uh, it is on the horizon uh, for for taking the first steps in faith. You know, the, the love of a husband and a wife is, is by definition, not it, it doesn't believe in a, a temporal perfection. It's actually the love that overcomes the imperfections that makes such a unity uh, possible. So if, if, if you have that, even if with the fight you mentioned and the words that were said, things are said by husband and wife in moments that people aren't proud of, but the love endures. But if there's an antagonism to this, if there's a kind of lines in the sand war being declared, I'm... I ask that because... It's the first thought that came to my head when I read this, and it, this demands brutal honesty. It's just it, that that's an issue that's every bit of an issue as the issue of this. I mean, no no person outside of your family, regardless of what their problem is, should be the kind of dynamite that can destroy a marriage as a marriage is properly understood. So just be honest with yourself about that. I mean, if, if, if you guys are basically going through your lives and it's going well as a marriage, and this is then, you know, this is like fingernails and chalkboard. When it comes up, it's inevitable that it comes up because this is family. Well, I've got a version of that in my own family. So does Steve. So does Aaron. Yeah. But if it's just always like, this is like, we're kind of getting off on this. This is our good time. Um, in a way, because trust me, people's good time is often to hurt the people. This is that Matchbox 20 song. I'm sorry about the attitude I need to give when I'm with you, but no one else will take this bleep from me. If it's that, we're in a, we're in a tough time. It's going to do it for today's show. I hope we helped provide a little bit of counsel there. Uh, we'll be back at it tomorrow again, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Till then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.